Okay, hey, everybody. everybody. Okay, okay. We're not doing this again. <laughs> We're on. seriously not doing this. What the hell is wrong with you? Why is it every week you try to upstate? <laughs> what? Upstate? I, Scott, I would never. Okay. Uh, welcome back, everyone, or welcome for the first yes, time. Yes, welcome back. Um, and for the we first are time. histories. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm Sorry. still not sold on that name, but uh, I think we're just going to stick with it. Yeah, you know, I'm committed. Oh, yep, my, committed. my wave looks like a penis from doing that. Okay, that, uh, that's that's great. Thank you for the additional information. There. You're welcome. Um, so, everyone, welcome back or welcome for the first time. This is a, uh, what would you call this? Not a historical podcast because we talk about a oh bunch God, of shit. no. It's um, a uh, informa- in- informative Informative? Pod- yeah. In- informative podcast. Informational. All right, we'll informative, uh, informational, informative, whatever. We every week, uh, one of us tells a story to the other person, where the other person does not know the story that's coming up. Hopefully. And PJ definitely doesn't know my story, but I did warn him. It is very depressing. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is I'm not a, a fun. I'm ready to make some uh, sick jokes. Uh, yeah, we're we're not going nowhere. Okay, so a couple <laughs> things before we start this, I will tell you right now. If you have a weak constitution or anything, please do not listen to this. I have a weak constitution. Um, well, you're you're being forced. Oh, okay. So you have no choice, buddy. Sorry. Um, uh, but everyone else, seriously, guys, this is a really fucked up story. I really want to warn you right now. There is a lot of violence and there's a lot of sexual stuff in it. Please just, uh, if you're not comfortable with that stuff or if you're a younger listener, you should probably not listen to this uh, this podcast here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Good. this episode's going to be very dark. It's our darkest episode to date. Uh, I know it's all been fun and games up till now, but this one is very, very dark. So yeah, please, I guess this is what's advice. interesting to Scott. Yes, this is very. I mean, hearing the story, it helps me like visualize what true evil is. I feel like. Oh, good. So, good thing I pooped before we started. Yes, good thing because you would. Uh, yeah, we'll just get into it. Don't worry. Don't. Yeah. We'll get into it. Uh, so we're gonna go out of our way into this podcast to not denigrate the victim at all. We're not gonna make fun of the victim. The victim is free from any humor. But I'm going to try my hardest to to just completely destroy the emotional well-being of anyone who was part of this sick fucking tragedy and fuck those people. Oh, God. So so there you go. All right. So, PJ, have you ever heard of Sylvia Likens? Uh, the name sounds familiar, actually. Okay. Well, Sylvia Marie Likens, uh, born January 3rd, 1949. Uh, she was the third of five children born to carnival workers lester cecil likens oh, and his God. wife elizabeth elizabeth betty which is betty is her n- nickname again francis i hate um, carnies i know she and they were like like world-class carnies they, that's what they did for their lives like their entire lives they were carnies mm-hmm. that's crazy i cannot i didn't know that was a job like a real job i thought that was just something you did for extra money but these people were like this is what they did so um her it was actually really interesting. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins. So her her oldest, Daniel and Diana, which fuck them for doing two Ds, those assholes. <laughs> um, uh, they were born two years before her. Then she was born, and then they learned their lesson, kind of, and they went with the rhyming scheme. Benny and Jenny, one year younger. Oh, come on. That's cute. But that's crazy, right? How often do you hear that, like, I'm my four siblings are all twins? I mean... Like, that's g- yeah, I think that's insane. That that's, I've be, never uh, heard of that. You, you'd be the you'd be the one who's alone all the time. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like you'd be kind of an outcast a little bit. Uh, um, but that I mean, you work well. You know, you I you guess. like Andre uh, three thousand. Wait, is Andre a twin? <laughs> no, 
Outcast. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, yeah, I'm confused where you're Isn't going. Isn't he an outcast? Isn't Andre 3000 an yeah, outcast? Yeah, he is, but I'm just com- <laughs> where, What does that have to do with I being... I said you like being an outcast. You know, Andre... Th- you like 300. Oh, 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 I didn't hear your outcast God. play. Oh, I, I missed okay. that word. Damn it. Uh, sorry. All right, well, Lester and should Betty's marriage Should have been more confident was, in the joke. Oh, oh, yeah, you should have. <laughs> you were very unconfident in that. Uh, Lester and Betty's marriage was unstable. They often sold candy, beer, and soda at carnival stands around Indiana throughout the summer. Cool. Moving frequently and regularly experiencing severe financial difficulties. No fucking joke. Like, uh, no surprise there, right? It's probably, a, like, they were probably, like, a nickel back then or, like, a quarter. Yeah, or probably, like, maybe cheaper. Maybe, like, a penny. Uh, um, yeah, probably. The Lycan Sons, uh, sons re- regularly traveled with their parents in order to help them out. But due to concerns for their younger daughter's safety and education, they didn't particularly like Sylvia and Jenny traveling with them in this employment. Uh, Both girls frequently resided with relatives, often their grandmother, so that their schoolwork would not suffer while their parents and brothers traveled with the carnival. Um, And it doesn't really explain what Diana was doing during all this time, because they're like, they're younger daughters. Yeah, we want them to be cool, but fuck Diana. No, I mean, so I don't, I, I don't know what did. Like literally, I could not find any information on Diana besides she comes up in the story a few times. I um, mean, with a name like that, I mean, can you blame them? Yeah, fucking double D's, <laughs> Daniel and Diana. Diana, I hate it. <laughs> uh, uh, both girls frequently resided with relatives. I already said that, and, uh, so their schoolwork would not suffer while their parents traveled with the carnival. Um, so Jenny, the one of the the younger twin, you know, the younger set of twins, Jenny. Mm-hmm. She had polios at four month old. Oh, God. So she, her left leg, or maybe her right leg, one of her legs was shriveled up. Um, and the author of this book is a complete jackass, by the way. So <laughs> when he was describing one of the first... Okay, so let me just tell you the first fucking passage of this fucking book. So I, I got almost all my information from a single book. Um, I can't remember what the book's called now, but it was a basic Nailed like a, a telling of the story of the what happened here and then the court case preceding it. Um, but in the book, he describes Jenny as having polio since four months old and she didn't like the dance cause she had a shriveled leg, but she tried anyway, even though it was horrifying. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> then he said, but she was not unattractive. So she was allowed to talk about boys with Sylvia and Sylvia's friend. What? Yeah. Was like, <laughs> what does that even well, mean? fuck you guy. If she was ugly, she's not allowed to talk about boys. Why don't you I fuck mean... right off? Yeah, it's weird. He does that, but he also makes fun of the family a lot, like the the people who did some bad stuff. Um, so I'm really – so I hate this part, but then he makes fun of the family so much. Like he says really coy things, and I'm like, all right, guy, you're getting my back on my good side. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, and by the way, the review for this book was spot on. At first I thought the guy was being a dick. He's like, yeah, the information in the beginning was interesting, but then the court case was fucking awful because the guy just drags on. And I was like, what a dick. I'm sure this author's fine. And then I got to the court case. I'm like, yeah, this fucking drags on a lot. You know, sometimes um, it's okay to judge a book by its review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this person, whoever reviewed that was right, right on the nose. Uh, good job. So where was I here? Uh, Sylvia and her family had just spent three months in Long Beach, California, which you are very hey. familiar with, PJ. Well, yep. Uh, don't worry. Uh, Go beach. We're, do you want to guess where Sylvia was born? Uh, I have no idea. She was born in Lebanon, Indiana. Oh. Where I once lived. Whoa. This is weird. So, it's yeah, the, it's so connecting like, both of us. 
Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> weird. But one of the things that they go through is like some of the streets in, in Indianapolis, which I'm a little familiar. I didn't live there for super long, but I'm a little familiar with them. So I'm like, I've actually passed there before. So uh, and reading about Lebanon, I'm like, oh, my God, because nobody understands like what a shit place Lebanon, Indiana is. I it's mean, like being in the south, but being as far away from the south as you can be. It's weird. Like, you know, that whole area is kind of like. Yeah, like, uh, Indiana is just a shithole as, as a state. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nothing about Indiana besides Mayor Pete. He was awesome, but nothing well, about Indiana. Hey, is Indianapolis seems cool. It's not. I've been there. It's fucking awful. What There's about what about there. Pawnee? Pa- oh, from Parks and Rec. <laughs> uh, is Pawnee real? I don't even know if it's real. No, it's not. Yeah, so fuck, fuck Indiana. It's <laughs> horrible. And if you're from Indiana, I am like so sorry that you live in that state. That's I I have no guys. opinion of it. I think yeah, I think it if has you potential. Lived there, you would. It does not. It's it's weird. That, that, Again, it's that's like just his opinion. Um, it's in the south, but it's not really the south. So like like everyone there is a redneck, but they shouldn't be because it's really not in the south. Nice. So yeah. So yeah, so there's there's that. So Long Beach, California, where her father worked for Douglas Aircraft. I didn't actually look into that. I don't know what Douglas Aircraft is, but I assume it's defunct probably now because I haven't heard of it. I haven't. Um, yeah, I don't. I have no idea. Uh, they moved back to Indiana because their parents were homesick. Which I just how could you be homesick? How could you miss Indiana? I how mean, how could anyone miss Indiana? It's the people. Home is where you make it. I guess. And uh, both parents were from uh, Indiana. The dad was from Lebanon and the mother was from Indianapolis. Uh, The family frequently struggled with money, which we already talked about. But Lester was able to keep the family going on odd jobs and sometimes taking welfare from township trustees. So that that's just like being on welfare. I don't know why they included the township. Uh, This book was written in the 60s. So like is at one point they're like. They had a guy saying, like, we're going to put you in the paddy wagon. <laughs> I'm like, that's fucking old. Uh, we so, should, we should yeah. bring, honestly, they should bring that back. No. Well, no, they should. Come on. <laughs> it's horrible. No, the paddy um, wagon. Uh, the mother knew a f- uh, family in the block in which the family lived, Gertrude Wright and her seven children. They lived at uh, 38050 East New York Street. Jenny and Sylvia made friends with Mrs. Wright's daughters, the Bans Whiskey Girls, the Bannis Whiskey. Banis Whiskey. It's a very. It's B A N. Monica Lewinsky? No. B A N I S Z E U S K Y. Banis Whiskey. Woof. But I'm going to call them the bees because I'm not going to fucking pronounce them. I'd hate to be them in class, you know, when they're just taking roll. I'm like, oh, God. Um. So, you know, so sorry. They went from Long Beach back to Indiana. The dad was working for like a carnival at the time, but the mother was watching the two girls. Um, And they met the Gertrude Wright and her seven children and became friends with a couple of them. A couple days later, uh, the girls went to shop with their mother and their mom tried on a few things. Uh, The girls thought she was going to buy some of these things. Um, but upon finding something she liked, she stuffed it into her purse and headed toward the door. Noise. The girls ran away from her mom and to the other side of the store so they wouldn't be caught up in this shit. Um, How old were they uh, at this time? The, wow, they can't believe they knew like what was going on. Oh, they were old. Uh, oh, Sylvia okay. is, was born in 1949, and uh, it's 1965 now. Sorry, I should uh, preface with okay. that. So it's 1965, so Sylvia's 16, and Jenny is 15. So they're older. They understand stuff right now. Um, I didn't find a lot on their years before this, but I assume it was just a lot of either travel and poverty, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, that's what 
what I figured. In Indiana. Uh, the mother was, yes, in Indiana, which is even worse. Uh, the mother was caught at the door and arrested and the, told the girls to go home alone. Um, the father obviously wasn't there, so they spent the while like at their house alone, 16 and 15, just not knowing where their mother was because she didn't bother calling. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, I'm going to yeah, be yeah. in prison. Just so, uh, feed yourselves. Yeah. So the next day, <laughs> they Order hung a out pizza. with the, the bee children. Again, I'm going to call them the bee children, and that's just going to be – there's a lot of them, so I'm not going to name them all unless they're important in the story. Yeah. Okay? Which they do all come up at some point, but for now, they're just the bee children. Um, they ended up spending the night the next day at the right home while their mother was incarcerated. The girls continued to spend time at the house until their father had eventually tracked them down. So he went home, found nobody was there, and um, decided went to a neighbor and asked them, like, hey, do you know where my kids and my wife are? And they said that they were at the uh, Wright's house. So uh, well, I actually saw your there. wife get taken by the paddy wagon. Nobody knew where his <laughs> wife was at all. Oh, like, literally okay. nobody. Um uh, so he, he ends up at the door. He uh, he had said he wanted to go on the road and wanted the girls to go back home to Lebanon to spend time with their grandmother. He asked them where their mother was, and they told him she had been arrested. He called the jail that night, but they said they had released her, uh, the mother. Um, he went back to the right residence and asked to sleep on her couch, and she was fine with that. Which I, Hey, what? the 60s, They have bro. a house. The 60s. No, no, no. They have a house. Literally, it's down the street from where their house hey, was. Hey, man, it was a different time. Hey, man, it was a different no. time. Okay, so let me ask you this. Would you go up to someone's home looking for your daughters? Well, okay? is it? There's two daughters and you and yeah. your brother. By the way, his brother was with him. Oh, good. I was so worried about people. him. You go up to somebody's house who lives, it's an old woman. Or not old, she's 37, but she looks Damn, like apparently Scott. she's 50. <laughs> she, she apparently looks like she's 50. She looks older. Wow, what a dick um, author. Well... Again, no, he's not. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so you go to their home. There's four of you, and then there's her and her seven kids. Oh, God. Oh, a, there were seven in a kids. Two, oh, yeah, two-bedroom okay. house. Yeah, so, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, would you ask no, to sleep on I'm the not, couch at that point? No, I mean, no. No. No, well, <laughs> no, no, no. So that night, um, they talked about his carnival plans, and uh, Gertrude, the, the, the lady, Gertrude Wright, she was actually having a lot of monetary issues at this point. Um, she, she was separated from... So I, I think I remember she had all seven kids with the same person. Well, but good. she's been married three times. Oh. Uh, she's divorced. She's currently divorced, and she was dating a 20-year-old at the time. She's nice. 37. Nice. So, but she doesn't, you know, 20-year-olds aren't exactly financially stable. So she was having a lot of money problems, and she was struggling to get alimony payments from the father and her ex-husbands and stuff. So uh, she needed some extra money. So she offered to take the girls in for $20 a week and treat them as her own daughters. Um, Interesting. The father agreed as long as the wife was fine with it. So his wife, you know, uh, Betty. Upon further searching the next day, he found her at her parents' house. So she didn't fucking call anyone. He just she just went to her parents' house. I, I, I don't. Maybe, these parents aren't that good. Maybe they hadn't met. Maybe they hadn't. You know, maybe she didn't go to her parents recently, and she wanted to visit. No, they lived literally down the street from them, and also he didn't check there first, which I think is weird. Also, but 
But beside that, anyway, that's not the point of the story. Uh, Mrs. Likens agreed to Mrs. Wright watching her kids for a few months, and they paid the first $20 and left. Uh, the Likens didn't inspect the house at all beyond the living room. They didn't have enough beds for the kids they already had. They, did have a, uh, they didn't have a stove. They just had a hot plate. And before the, fa- uh, the father left, he told Mrs. Wright to watch them with a heavy hand because the mother lets them get away with everything. And this is talking about Sylvia and Jen. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, so Gertrude Wright, let's talk a little bit about her. Uh, she had a strange life. She, had, she has had six miscarriages and seven successful pregnancies. So she was pregnant 13 times. Yeah, noise. All, se- all seven, I believe, was with her first husband, uh-huh. uh, John Bannis the Whiskey. Um, they were together for 10 years, then divorced. Then she married another man, Edward Guthrie, for three months. Then she remarried John. Which is weird. For, for uh, seven more years. This so sounds they, weird they were married for the 60s. Yeah, right? She was married with this guy for 17 years, and it must have been recently that she was divorced. Um so maybe uh, she might have had one kid with one other person, I think, actually, because I wrote down she had six with John. So she had one kid with one other person because she had two more kids with together. Uh, Gertrude's father died of a heart attack when she was 11 years old, and she was the third of six children in her home. Um, she then married another man, Dennis Lee Wright, and bore him a son, Dennis Jr., which if you ever listen to Crime and Sports and other podcasts out there, um, nothing ever good comes from somebody named Junior. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this is a crazy thing in their podcast where almost half of their people that they cover, all the sports athletes who done, who have done like criminal things, are named Junior. So I'm the third. Gotta, gotta watch out. Gotta watch out for those juniors. What about me? You're you're a Junior's Junior. You're I'm a Junior worse. Junior. Oh, oh <laughs> fuck. <laughs> um, I'm screwed. So uh, Dennis ended up leaving her with the child and no support. So she filed a paternity test to get support from him. But again, she wasn't getting support from him. You know, uh, even people don't have to pay that if they just run away. <laughs> she was uh, she was physically it's... abused by this man and possibly by her other husbands. But she never admits to John actually beating her or anything and had some uh, respiratory problems growing up. Um, she was a chronic smoker. I think it said she smoked a pack a day or so. Um, she had uh, asthma as well, and her asthma was never in, like, a good shape. Um, like I said, she was 37 years old, but she looked like she was 10 years older. Like, she was not a, a healthy person whatsoever. Um, having 13 pregnancies will probably do that to you, though, you know? Oh, um, I would know. Yeah, you would know. Yes. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Sylvia. Sylvia was a cute girl, slender and pretty in the bloom of life. This is all descriptions from the book, by the way. I'm not fucking creeping on a 16-year-old. This time. This time. (laughs) When she smiled, she did so with her mouth closed because she was missing a tooth from a collision with her brother when she was young. Uh, She was of average intelligence. Like, this is where I'm like, this guy's such a fucking dick. I don't Why would you even mention that? Average intelligence. I mean, Uh, it's kind of important, I guess, when you're describing somebody. I'd be like, I mean, I would say I'm like slightly above a- average intelligence. Yeah, I wouldn't say you were slightly above anything. So are you? Ex- ex- are you? <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> um, she worked as a babysitter and an ironer. So back in the day, you can iron clothes and get money for it. You can't. I don't think you can do that anymore. I'm starting an just, app. Yeah, I think I'm that's gonna, a dry cleaner. I'm gonna app. start just an start app. Start a dry cleaner app. No, it's sure gonna be like it's gonna be like Uber, but ironing. All right. 
Uh, so you're going to have people gonna... come into your house and iron your clothes okay. for you. That's weird. And you have to supp- supply the iron. Yeah, right? you supply all the stuff. You know, your ironing board, your okay. iron, and then the person just shows up and irons it. Okay. And then leaves. Uh, yeah, that's dumb. But we'll move on. <laughs> she was not. So, again, this is my, not my description. I just She was not an angel but owned a Bible and was baptized. Uh, by the way, Indiana, I know you've never been there, but it's a very big place for Christianity. It's really important to be Christian there. Um, I remember doing my paper in school on the Big Bang Theory for, for some class. It was probably on some class. And some kid with like a heavy like Southern drawl was like, don't you be telling me there's no God. I'm like, I didn't say that. It's heavily implied, but I didn't say it. <laughs> so, so that's the kind of things you deal with when you're in Indiana. Like people are very Christian. So her being owning a Bible is a big deal. I think if she didn't own it, people would probably ostracize her. Um, Yeah, so she dropped out of school at 16, but planned to re-enter in the fall. This is after she started living with the Wrights, or the Bannis of Whiskies. We'll find out later that Gertrude never actually changed her name, and she just goes by Mrs. Wright. But Mm. that's easier to say than Bannis of Whiskies, so I'm just going to say Wright. Um, Right. Yes. So the first week at the Wright's house was normal, with trips to the park in which Jenny would hobble along. Oh, Again, God. from the fucking book. <laughs> I was like, God, dude, All right, well, leave her alone. Uh, honestly, when you first mentioned that she had a short, like a small leg, I just immediately yeah. thought a scary no, movie. No, no, shriveled leg. Oh, sorry. You said shriveled, shriveled leg, and it just made me think of a uh, scary movie. Grab my, little, a grab my little arm. It's stronger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to grab that one. Um, okay. Sorry. The rent for Mrs. Wright was $55 a month, which she struggled to make. Damn. Um, uh, causing yelling. F- so she would basically, she would do yelling fits. She would yell at her kids and stuff to get out of her house when she was stressed out about money. Uh, that's what inspired a lot of Jenny and Sylvia's walks to the park just to get out so they wouldn't have to hear her yelling at people. Um, after the first week, the $20 payment from the Lycans was late. So Mrs. Wright took the two girls and slapped them across the face, saying, I took care of you two bitches for nothing. Oh, shit. Yeah, so we're already starting to see what's going to happen. I'm starting to see uh, the turn. Yep. The next day, the money arrived. A few days later, while on break from the fairs, the parents came home and gave an advance to the $20 for the next week. The parents visited frequently at first, but then stopped coming as often. Um, Sylvia was paddled again in the third week of her stay, this time being accused of stealing bottles from grocery stores with the Banazawiski children to sell for pennies. In truth, they were at the park looking for bottles, for empty bottles, um, and using those to turn in to sell for pennies. Uh, Both girls were punished for doing it at the park, too. They were paddled with a quarter-inch board. Sylvia was lucky to get it in the back, but soon it was just for hitting her in the back of the head. Like quarter-inch thick or like quarter-inch wide? Yeah, quarter-inch, quarter-inch thick. Oh, shit. Yeah. That does not follow Uh, the rule of thumb. No, it does not. Not at all. You're right. Gertrude is a fucking sick son of a bitch. And you just wait. It gets worse. Oh, great. Um... If Gertrude was feeling tired from her asthma, she would delegate the punishment to her daughter, Paula, who liked doing it. August was pretty rough for the girls as well. So July goes past. I'm just going to tell you right now, this story takes place between July and October. What? Right? Yeah. This whole story takes place between then. 
and it's very long. It's very long for these poor girls. Um, if Gertrude was feeling tired, uh, she would delegate the punishment to her daughter, Paula, who liked doing it. August was pretty rough for the girls as well. Sylvia had admitted she was stealing a stealing incident and a sexual interaction while she was in California, which the Banna Whiskey children used as reasoning to hate her. They attended Sunday school with the Banna Whiskey children in August, where Paula admitted that she broke her wrist by punching Sylvia in the jaw and told fellow churchgoers she tried to kill her. Okay... Mm-hmm. The woman passed it off as childish talk. And by the way, this is where I get really pissed off because these fucking people, the, if this happened today, I would report it. If somebody told me, yeah, I punched this, my girl who lives with me and I tried to kill her and broke my wrist doing it, literally, uh, I would call Child Protective Services the next minute. The it next was, minute. It was a different time. Okay, this is no. There's no. I'm sorry, no. you Once you get into it, you're going to see that this is bullshit and these people are all awful and all deserve to die. So just wait. Um, so the reverend at the church claimed that a, f this is just a side thing, by the way, cause this is hilarious to me, uh, claimed that a fire happened at a movie theater nearby because the theater was a sinning theater and it, the fire was an act of God. Yet that shows you how religious these fucking people are. I mean, what was the theater showing? Was it like a I don't a know, but theater? whatever it was, apparently God hated it. <laughs> um, Paula was a five five uh, uh, five foot five tall girl, and she weighed one hundred and sixty pounds. Whoa! Um, she the cast on Paula's hand, so she got a cast for her broken wrist. Uh, the cast on Paula's hand was used as a weapon against Sylvia. She was hit in the face with it and was bleeding from the mouth. Mrs. Reich spanked Sylvia, believing she stole $10 from her purse and for stealing from, her drug, from a drugstore with no proof. No one saw her spend any money. The children had only soup and crackers and bread and butter to eat by the third week of August. So literally all they were eating every day for dinner was um, soup and crackers and for breakfast was bread and butter. Sounds delicious. Yeah, but not very savory. No, no, um, no. definitely not, you know, the food pyramid. But hey... Uh, yeah, a, f a, f a few days before a welfare check came in, they also only had, uh, sorry, they, that was all they were eating a few days before a welfare check came in. Yeah. Uh, they also only had three spoons at the house and eight in chips. <laughs> <laughs> and God, later, two. <laughs> this is pretty bad. Uh, and later on, two of those spoons were lost. Oh, man. So they had one spoon in the Hey, house. you know, soup, you, you, I mean, you don't need a spoon for that. You can just drink it. Yeah. And then oh, bread and butter. See. You can just you'll use your hands. You'll see that they don't need a, you don't need a, uh, yeah, you'll see. You'll see what they don't need a spoon for Stop here it. in a second. Um, <laughs> You're scaring me. <laughs> uh, they were treated to a church supper and the band is a whiskey. So they went to church and sometimes the churches have like um, church events and they serve supper. Usually like an okay supper, better than fucking soup and crackers and bread yeah. and butter. Uh, the Banners of Whiskies told on Jenny and Sylvia to Mrs. Wright that they were eating too much food. Uh, they were stripped naked and beaten with the paddle in front of everyone. Like at the church? No, 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 no. At the home. Oh. In front of the seven children. What they were the beaten fuck? by Paula and by Gertrude. What the? What is wrong? All right. They... 
they mocked Silvio more one one day by making her eat a hot dog with mustard, ketchup, and spices. So what they did is they took this hot dog, an uncooked hot dog, by the way, yeah. and they passed it around the table, and they filled it with ketchup, mustard, and an assortment of spices and forced her to eat it. Um, she puked and was forced to eat the rest of it. Oh, my God. Yep. What the fuck? Come on. She was given a bowl of soup one time and forced to eat it with her fingers. That must have taken forever. Mm-hmm. I've tried that, too. So She's given, and she was given later on, they make her do it again, and she's given a time limit of one minute, and she couldn't even, like, get any bit of the bowl into her mouth. Like, they wouldn't Come let on. her, like, they wouldn't let her slurp it. She had to eat it with her fingers. That's just being set up for failure. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of setup for failure. Uh, Mrs. Wright scolded Sylvia for, for being under the covers with a boy in California. So this is like three months prior. Okay? Oh, geez. She she had an interaction with the boy where she went under the covers with him. It never says whether she had sex or not. It's assumed she did, but it's never actually said. Um, I, think l I, I think she did, but it, it fucking doesn't matter. It, it does not matter what people do with their time. Yeah. I'm so I know this was a different time, but seriously, this that this is what uh, pissing me off the most is that they really judged her hard. Um, although her daughter, this is Mrs. Wright's daughter, Paula, you know, the one who broke her wrist. Uh -huh. Although her daughter, Paula, was pregnant at the time, she mm. still insisted that Sylvia was pregnant and claimed how wrong it was. Man. Also, hey, Pot, so it's Kettle. You're black. Yeah, that, serious. That PJ, no joke. That is exactly what I fucking said when I read this part. Um, so Paula, the reason she's pregnant is she moved to Kentucky with her uh, soon to soon to apparently be husband, which they never got married, and she moved back right away. But she was pregnant. So uh. she and she's the same. I think she's seventeen. So she's just about the same age as Sylvia. So she's Damn. not, like, fucking pure or anything. She's a piece of shit. That's what she yeah. is. Uh, Paula, hearing that Sylvia might be pregnant, uh, stood up and kicked her in the pubic region and kicked Ow. her out of the chair she was sitting in, Ugh. saying it was just for, um, yeah, saying the chair was for just women only. What the Even hell? though Paula was the pregnant one. Oh, uh, and this is one of the parts where I really like the author. The author described Paula as a fat, rejected girl. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I like. Apparently, that she wasn't rejected Paul, too much. No, I mean, if pussy's you know. there, it's gonna get fucked. That's Wh just how pussy. What works. the hell? Oh my! I'm sorry. <laughs> what uh, the men are? <laughs> men are this just this disgusting creatures who will just fuck whatever, no matter how bad the person is. They would just fuck it. That's just how men are. That, that's just, I know, it sounds terrible, but it's nothing against women. It's just against men. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, due to her indiscretion in Kentucky, that's why the guy's saying that. Uh, later, they finally started school, and things got worse for the girls. Sylvia was friends with one of the bandits of whiskey, Stephanie. But for some reason, she spread rumors about Stephanie ta uh, talking, taking money for sex. Um, Stephanie was a virgin. She also spread rumors about Paula, too. This resulted in a severe beating from the children and the parents. Later, she stole a gym, out gym outfit from school because she didn't have any money to buy one. When she asked Mrs. Wright for money, uh, she said that she didn't need one. Um, and she came home with that gym outfit, and I think that's actually later, so we'll just wait for later on that. 
Uh, so the book gets weird because it mentions things early and then explains them later. So when I wrote this down, it was because they mentioned it, but then I got into mm-hmm. explaining the punishment for it later. Uh, um, Steph was still her closest friend, even though she uh, told everyone that Steph was taking money for sex. I, I don't understand why Sylvia did this. It sounds like a big lapse in judgment for her, especially getting beaten at home for like the most minor things. Yeah. Um, uh, so the closest friend in the class and was staying home for the last couple of days due to a spider bite. After the, hold on. After the admitted stealing uh, the uh, outfit, after she admitted stealing the outfit to Gertrude, she was beaten and her fingers were burned with a match. And then Gertrude started accusing her of having sex. They were yelling. There was a yelling match between the two, and Steph woke up and said that Sylvia was not having sex. The yelling made her upset, and the mother blamed it on Sylvia. So the kids and the mother started beating Sylvia mercifully. What? The mother what? would make up. Yeah. So literally, they were yelling at each other, and it woke up one of her daughters, Stephanie. Um, Stephanie was Sylvia's friend and knew she wasn't having sex at the school. And yet she was still getting blamed for it. And when she, uh, Stephanie started crying because her mother, by the way, I don't know if you heard that part, but she stayed home because she had a spider bite. Yeah. She stayed home for three days for a spider bite. Yeah. How bad was medicine back then? It was a brown that's, recluse. That's, uh, no. Well, <laughs> it could have been. Indiana, I think, has a ton of them. But um, so she was, yeah, she got upset. One of the boys came in. I think it was her boyfriend, Coy. I think Coy Hubbard is her boyfriend, Stephanie's boyfriend. Live there? Uh, no, he was just... So this house was weird. It was like a haven for neighbor kids and stuff. So people would just fucking come over. And yeah, like, everybody, everybody's kids get beat. Yeah. Well, no, no. Literally, it was only Sylvia and Jenny. Well, oh. Mostly Sylvia. Um, so the kid, the neighbor kids would come over and join in the beating. What the fuck? Yeah. What are they? Be- um, what are they developing here? Yeah, Coy Hubbard, Stephanie's boyfriend, was yeah. learning judo. Like judo was a new popular thing, and so he would judo chop Sylvia and flip her on her back onto the hardwood floor. What the? I don't. Yeah, see, this is where everyone was like, "Well, it's because Gertrude told me to do it." I'm like, "No, you're fucking adults. You're all above 15 years old. Fuck you guys. You did this because you're sick pieces of shit." So, no, oh, yeah. But we'll get into all that. We're still we're still climbing here. We we still got a long way to go, oh, PJ. Great. We got a couple months in. still. Uh, the mother would make up things about Sylvia, saying awful things about her, and tell the children. The this would incite the children to attack Sylvia whenever possible. She was beaten repeatedly for saying things she never had said, either about the mother or about the girls. Their mother even encouraged neighbor kids to help with the beatings. The kids, believing Mrs. Wright was their friend, had no reason to doubt that Sylvia was bad and deserved to be punished. Later, new neighbors moved in and sought a babysitter for their two young children. Mrs. Vermilion went over to Gertrude's house and witnessed... This Again, this is where I'm like, why the fuck didn't you report this, Okay. Mrs. Vermilion went over to Gertrude's house and witnessed the children beating Sylvia and the mother admitting that she did things to Sylvia too. She then watched Paula pour hot water on Sylvia's face and soothe it with margarine. She did not hire Mrs. Wright. What? No. Oh, I wonder why. Sorry. The but mar- see, why the margarine the f- just caught me. 
at a left field. Yeah. <laughs> no, they kept saying oh, she kept soothing. Ahead. They would soothe her wounds with margarine. And I'm like, I didn't know margarine had fucking healing properties. I mean, <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> it's just. Uh, these people, they're fucking from Indiana, man. The this Indiana, I think, is one of the worst educated places in the States, too. Oh so especially God. in the 60s. Um, she did not hire Mrs. Wright. She was she later went over for coffee and said that Sylvia had a black eye and swollen lip. Paula admitted to beating her again because she was pregnant. Because Sylvia was pregnant. Man, how long has she been pregnant for? Uh, so this is still in the oh, same yeah. month. This is still in August. Oh, God. Again, this all happens in three months' time. Um, also, I'm really upset at Mrs. Vermillion for not fucking reporting this to the cops. It was a different time. It's no, <laughs> not for this. If you see, oh, you have a swollen lip and black eye, but you're pregnant. That makes sense. I would beat the fuck out of you too. Hey, you know, women get, women swell up when they get pregnant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she admitted to beating her up. I know. Yeah. Oh, God, it's <laughs> awful. Uh, the reverend from the church came over once because he likes to check in with members of the mm. congregation. I think that's really weird, too. That, yeah, But this is real. He actually went over to people's houses to check in with members of his congregation. That's fucking weird. Stay away it's from me. It's just networking, man. It's, just, yeah, it's oh, all it's networking. He sat down and heard Gertrude complain about Sylvia and heard Jenny say things bad about her, too. Um, the thing things Jenny were saying uh, were very scripted. Like, it sounded like, yes... And Sylvia also does this wrong. And Sylvia also does this wrong. And Sylvia also... Line! Yeah. Yeah, it's literally... Huh. It was all scripted. So Gertrude told Sylvia what to say. Or, or uh, Jenny what to up. say. She'd probably just get beat if she didn't say Yeah, that. so Jenny was getting beat too, by the way, but not as bad as Sylvia was. Mm-hmm. Um, a nurse from Jenny's school also visited due to an, ano- an anonymous tip that the children were being abused. Whoa. One of the neighbor ladies finally fucking called the it police. It was Vermillion. No, it was a different lady. I, it was oh, one, of, okay. one of the abusers was this kid named Richard Hobbs. Uh-huh. Uh, he was 15. His mom called. Oh, he was but like, Richard, she didn't guess know. guess what? Ri- guess what I, I did don't know at what, the other? <laughs> I don't think she knew that Richard was doing anything. She just knew that Sylvia was yeah. appearing like swollen and black eyes and stuff. Guess what I got to do at the um, rights the other day? I got to beat up a, a, another girl. Yeah, seriously. Jesus. Uh, Gertrude lied and said the abused girl was a prostitute and having sex with all the boys in the neighborhood. All the she boys. said she kicked her out a week before, even though uh, she knew Sylvia was actually locked in the basement. It's just, oh, I love that. Ex- like, listen, she's not being abused. She's a fucking prostitute. Whatever act we do to her, completely justified. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't see how these people aren't like, oh, is, is that right? Maybe we should call the police now. No, right, that'd be um, too easy. This part's really hard. Um, the next evil act by Gertrude was inviting neighbor boys and her children over to see Sylvia forced to strip in the living room and put a Pepsi bottle inside her vagina. Oh, man, come on. Yeah. And they do that multiple times. What um, the Gertrude used this to prove what kind of girl Sylvia was. Stephanie walked in on this from coming home from school and slapped Sylvia, thinking that she was doing this out of her own free will. What the? What? Why? Yeah. Come on. This is what I'm fucking talking about. Like, this is the bullshit where I'm like, you guys are all just fucking pretending now. 
Um, she was relegated to the basement soon after that incident, and the way she would go down the stairs was being thrown down by Coy Hubbard, who was the boyfriend of Stephanie, and Gertrude. Coy would walk her down a couple steps and then throw her the rest of the way. Multiple times she hit her head. Uh. Um, this was the way she was allowed to go downstairs. She was bathed every night by the children down there because Gertrude thought she was dirty. She peed the bed apparently more more than... Uh, peed the bed... Sorry, I wrote this weird. She peed the bed often, um, more than likely due to either an infection caused by shoving foreign objects into her vagina or by constant hits to her kidney she was receiving. Because her kidneys later on, and I'll get to it later on. Uh, These baths used scolding water, uh, so she did not like them. One time she was forced into one and passed out, and to wake her back up, Paula banged her head against the tub several times. They started putting out cigarettes on her skin, um... And if the burns were bad, they put rubbing alcohol on some of the wounds to treat them. And treated large open blisters by rubbing salt into them, causing more bleeding. Paula then cut off all of Sylvia's long, pretty hair and threw it away. Again, pretty was a... I don't know if she had long, pretty hair. That was just the adjective used by the author. Uh, The author was really on Sylvia's side, which I am fucking too. So, fuck these people. Anything he has bad to say about these people, I'm all for it. Uh, Coy Hubbard enjoyed practicing judo on Sylvia, which we talked about earlier, flipping her several times throughout this ordeal, as well as throwing her downstairs and banging her head against walls. Things only got worse for Sylvia in the coming week. She was forced to write a confession letter to her parents detailing all the wrong things she was doing according to Gertrude. She was forced to eat nothing but crackers and water only, and that only... And that was her only meal. She's beginning to pass out from lack of food. She passed out for 20 minutes and had to be helped into bed by the two t- by two of the children. Her sister Diana, the older one, she's 18 at this point. Uh, she would sometimes meet her sister in the park because apparently she lived nearby. Um, and again, this is one of those times where they mention something and don't bring up the punishment later. Uh, but her sister Diana gave her a sandwich a month before and Gertrude found out about it. She beat her over the head five or six times. She was also forced to eat baby's poop and drink urine as water. Oh, my God. What? Yeah. Uh, So, you know, Dennis Jr., Gertrude's youngest, is still a baby. She told told Coy Hubbard to go get one of his dirty diapers out of the trash. So it's not even fresh baby poop. It's out of the trash. She was forced to eat it, and then when she wouldn't eat it, her face was shoved into it, and it was shoved down her throat. My stomach started to turn a little I, bit yeah um she was then tied to a bed without being allowed to go to the bathroom and told not to urinate in the bed or else uh yeah yeah well i mean that just seems counterproductive why would you not let her go to the bathroom if yeah. you didn't want her to urinate in the fucking bed like this is just bullshit it's just setting up for failure so they can get mad at her so they can beat her yeah. It's fucking horse shit. Um, this was to teach her not to do it. She asked her sister for some water and peed the bed that night. The next day, her punishment began for peeing the bed. Sylvia started the day with another Pepsi bottle. 
She got reprieve when Gertrude and the gang left at 11 a.m. for a doctor's appointment for Gertrude's asthma. Uh, up in, at this point, too, she's getting really unhealthy. Uh, her face is starting to get swollen, Gertrude's, and have red marks all over it, which fucking good. I hope she's in, like, everlasting pain because of that. Um, but that's why, and she blames Sylvia on all this. She thinks it's the stress caused by Sylvia because why she's having such, like, a medical reaction right now, which is bullshit. When she got back, Richard Hobbs, that's the neighbor kid that his mom called the police, returned a few days being gone, and Gertrude asked him if he knew how to tattoo someone. He responded yes, and so Gertrude called Sylvia up from the basement. Richard was confused because he thought Sylvia was in juvie. Gertrude then asked Sylvia if she knew what a tattoo was. Sylvia responded yes. Gertrude then told Sylvia to take off her blouse. When she hesitated... Gertrude ripped it off. She told her younger daughters to bring her sewing needles. Then said, you have branded my daughters. Now I'm going to brand you. She told the other, she told Richard Hobbs, um, the kid, the 15 year old child. Okay. The 15 year old child. She told him, um, uh, what the tattoo would be. And it would be, she, uh, the tattoo would say, I am a prostitute and proud of it. Gertrude started the tattoo with the I, then the apostrophe, and then the first leg of the M. She had Richard take over after because she was feeling ill. Richard asked Gertrude how to spell prostitute. Yeah, seriously. Richard asked Gertrude how to spell prostitute. By the way, when you read this note, um, they're not good at fucking spelling. She She misspelled prostitute and something else on her. She was tattooing the her midriff. Like, literally, it was a big tattoo over her midriff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another guy, Randy, I think. I'm. I think Randy was her 20-year-old boyfriend, I'm pretty sure. I think that's who Randy was, by the way. Okay. Just so you know, he's. I don't think he's involved in this at all. I don't know if he was, like, arrested or anything, but we'll find out. Uh, Randy had come to the door, and so they took Sylvia downstairs because they did not want him to see Sylvia naked. However, they closed her and brought her back up to show off her new tattoo. They -hmm. then took her downstairs and wanted to brand her with an S to show that it was her first initial. Right? Yeah. They found a crowbar with a small hook at one of the ends and thought by combining the two... uh, Combining two of the crowbar hilts like together they could make an s oh great instead because and i wrote this in here instead because they are fucking stupid uh they made a three (sighs) so on her chest she had a brand from like a hot poke of a three after saying i am a prostitute and i am proud after this was done, Gertrude mockingly asked Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. Sylvia did not answer. After uh. 4 p.m., Richard Hobbs went back home. Coy Hubbard came over later and tied Sylvia up and banged her head against the wall six or seven times. Sylvia confided in her, in her sister that she was going to die. She could feel it. Then her to- she told her, or the sister told her that she'd uh, she would not die. Gertrude wouldn't let her die. And she thought Gertrude would not go that far. That night, she was allowed to sleep in a bed upstairs. She woke up, and she was forced to write a, no- uh, forced to write a note for her. 
stating that a gang of boys got what they wanted from her and left her in a battered and bruised state. And I have that note for later on, and we're going to read it together. Uh, the next day, she was strong enough to walk upstairs. She made it she made it up and Gertrude started hounding her. Gertrude wanted to find a place to dump her off to ease her own illness and blame that she blamed on Sylvia. She told Jenny and Johnny to get dressed to take her to Jimmy's Forest. And I don't know what Jimmy's Forest is. It must be like a nearby grouping of trees. Because Indiana is like a shit ton of trees. It's like a um, it's it's like, you know, where all the kids go to make out. It's probably that, but it's also where you drop off people you don't want anymore who have tattoos on their stomach. Um hearing See, it's this, always Sylvia, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hearing this, Sylvia tried to leave, but only made it to the front porch before she was dragged back in, dragged, dragged back in by Gertrude. Gertrude did not want her to go outside in her state. She tried to get her to eat two pieces of toast, but Sylvia complained she could not swallow because her face was too swollen. So Gertrude beat her over the head with a brass curtain rod until it was bent into a right angle. Then Coy Hubbard uh. came over at 8.30 p.m. and smashed Sylvia with a broomstick, knocking her out. The next day was a sullen one. Jenny left for school and came back about lunch to see Gertrude trying to feed Sylvia a donut and milk. Whenever Sylvia held a glass, she would drop it. Unable to really get anything down her throat anyway, uh, eventually... Sorry. Uh, she was... Sorry, un, I broke that weird again. Unable to get... Unable to really get anything down her throat anyway. She would, Even though she was trying to, like, drink milk, she would drop the glass. She broke two glasses in a row, and she couldn't open her mouth, really, because her face was so swollen. Uh, eventually, Stephanie went downstairs being told to give Sylvia a bath by her mother and found her being hosed off by Ricky Hobbs. She stopped him and tried to help Sylvia upstairs, but she was too heavy. Eventually, her and Ricky got her upstairs and tried to give her a bath. Eventually, she stopped breathing, and Stephanie gave her mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, which res resuscitated her for a short time, but she stopped breathing again and was not able to come back. So, she's now dead. Great. Here comes another... It's another really hard part here. Uh, Patrolman Melvin D. Dixon was the officer to respond to the call of a dead person's. He arrived at the house, and Gertrude greeted him at the door. He talked with her long enough to get her name, age, and ethnicity. Mrs. Wright told him that the girl was a boarder at her house, but had left a few days prior with a gang of boys, only to return bare-breasted in her backyard, uh, clutching a note. The note read, To Mr. and Mrs. Likens. This is her writing a note to her parents. Yeah. I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said they will pay me if I would give them something. So I got, and if this sounds weird, this is her note. I didn't write this. Uh, would give them something. So I got in their car and they all got what they wanted and they did and they did. And when they finished, they beat me up and left sores on my face and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach. I am a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could just to make Gertie mad and cause. And this is weird. So apparently she wrote cause, but meant to write cost. So it says, Gertie mad and cause cost Gertie more money than she's got. I've torn up a new mattress and peed on it. And peed was spelled P-E-A-E-D. Hmm. Um, I have also cost Gertie doctor's bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all her kids. I cost her $35 for a hospital in one day and I wouldn't do nothing around the house. I have done anything to do the to do things to make things out of the way to make things worse for them like it's so bad 
Indiana. Yikes. I, I and I know it's sad that she was forced to write this note, but I think Gertie wrote this note, like and told her to copy it down. Yeah. I think that's how that worked out because this note Gertie does not have a good education. Um the officer merely glanced at the note but wanted to see the body of the girl. If he had um if he had actually stared at the note, he would have seen like, oh, this is not a normal note that a person would write to their parents. Yeah. Right? That does not sound like a hey mom and dad, you know, that Mr. and Mrs. Likings. Um Camp was crazy <laughs> this year. Yeah. Seriously. Uh glanced at the note but wanted to see the body of the girl. What he saw was a long, thin body of a teenage girl stretched out on her back, on the mattress on the floor of the bedroom. Although she wore a sweater and slacks, her midriff was exposed, and Dixon could plainly see the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, freshly carved on her belly. Above that was a deep carved three. Her light brown hair was shaggy, disheveled, and cut short. Her face was covered with sores, and her entire left side of her face was discolored where the skin had been eroded. There, was, there were open sores also around the markings of her abdomen and bruises. The deputy coroner noticed more things about the body. Dr. Arthur Paul Keeble arrived about an hour later. He found the body in complete rigor. And at room temp, which indicated she had been dead for eight hours, uh, he also noted that she had been bathed possibly after death, which could have quickened the process. There was a large bruise on the left side of her head about the temple. A tooth was missing, which we talked about. She lost that when she was a kid. Uh, cuts and burns, cuts, burns, and scald marks covered her body. The numerous patches where skin had eroded uh, were either caused by scalding water or acid. That's how hot that fucking water was, that they thought it was caused by acid. Um, the body was also covered in more than 100 small round sores. Uh, one of the whole, one was a hole almost to the bone on her right wrist. Each wound was about the size of a cigarette. The vagina was swollen and puffy, but no signs of other molestation present. One of the girls back, one, the, one, the girl's back was, oh, on the girl's back. On the girl's back was a discolored, uh, sorry, I wrote one for some reason. On the girl's back was a discolored bruised area of the size of a hand. The sores were in various stages of healing. Another doctor examined, so this doctor went for further examination, so she went to a, um, like a more professional hospital. Yeah. Uh, another doctor examination showed that her lips were in shreds. Her fingernails were broken backward. There was a patch of skin loss on her face back. Uh, sorry. There were patch skin losses on her face, back, breast, and right knee. Her liver was yellow and fatty, indicating malnutrition. An altercation in her kidneys indicated the victim was in shock two to three days prior to her death. The doctor also drained two tablespoons of unclotted blood from the victim's brain. The doctor concluded that Sylvia had died of a subdermal hematoma, which just means there's so much pressure in your brain that you die. Yeah. Um, when questioned by the police, Richard Hobb gave a confession because they told him that Jenny had implicated. So, uh, sorry, I should get to this part. Jenny literally went up to the cop who reported that officer Dixon and said, she had said first that my sister ran away a few days ago and came back uh like this and then she whispered to the cop please save me i'll tell you everything okay yeah so uh she obviously gertie was watching her when she said that and then the cop forced gertie away and she took jenny to the to the precinct 
Yeah. Uh, when questioned by police, Richard Hobbs gave a confession because they told him that Jenny had implicated him in the abuse. So Jenny was taken to the uh, to the precinct and actually told them everything that happened. Um, during court proceedings, Gertrude admitted to making Sylvia sleep in the basement three times only because she wet the bed. She was asked if Sylvia wet the bed due to being paddled on the kidneys, and she said she did not recall doing that. She also refuted telling someone to make her eat shit. Coy Hubbard had been picked up and questioned about the situation. He admitted to hitting Sylvia and burning her with a match. Only a match. Uh, Only a match. He also admitted to walking her down to the basement stairs about two or three steps and then throwing her the rest of the way. Paula admitted to hitting Sylvia with a police belt 25 times and breaking her wrist, punching Sylvia in the jaw. Uh, By the way, they got the police belt because John Banzewiski, Gertrude's ex-husband, um was a police officer oh okay i mean i thought it was something like that but yeah yeah uh giving her a black eye and pushing her down the stairs two or three times she also denied she was pregnant she apollo was still denying she was pregnant in october this happened in like october 26th or something um johnny showing yet or no i think she was because she was pregnant in july so that's well maybe not three months pregnant isn't crazy but she kept denying even though she definitely was pregnant um Johnny ended up admitting to punching Sylvia and gave the names of other people who had also abused her, including Paula B., Paula B., Stephanie B., Mary B., Shirley B., Anna Sisko, Judy Duke, Darlene McGuire, Randy Lepper, Mike Monroe, Coy Hubbard, and Richard Hobbs. So all the children plus Lint neighbor kids plus Gertrude. A lawyer in the audience. Everyone got a turn. Yeah, the, seriously. Oh a lawyer God. in the audience of the courtroom stated if some of these people had been concerned about Sylvia earlier, then she would still be alive. Mr. Likens tried to read Jenny's statement, so Mr. and Mrs. Likens eventually got their call, uh, but couldn't because tears started to fill his eyes. So Jenny, you know, the statement she gave yeah. to police when she went there, she, he tried to read it, but could not get through the whole thing, and I don't blame him, that poor guy. Uh, so here's a trial. The trial of Gertrude Banzewiski and her children Paula and John, Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard began on April 18, 1966. All were tried together before Judge Robb at the Indianapolis City County Building. Initial jury selection began on this date and continued for several days. The prosecution uh, consisted of Leroy K. New and Marjorie Wessner, who announced their intention to seek the death penalty for all five defendants on April 16th. They also successfully argued before Judge Robb that all the defendants should be tried together as they were ultimately charged with acting in concert in the collective crimes against Likens, and that as such, if each were tried separately, neither judge nor jury could hear testimony relating to a total picture of the accumulation of offenses committed. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Each prospective juror was questioned by counsels for both pr- prosecution and defense in relation to their opinions regarding capital punishment, being a just penalty for first-degree murder, and whether a mother was actually responsible for the deportment of her children. Jurors who expressed any opposition to the death penalty were excused from the duty by Leroy New. Any who either worked with children expressed prejudice against any insanity defense or re- repulsion regarding the actual horrific nature of Lycan's death were excused by the defense counsels. Uh, Gertrude Banzewiski was defended by William Erbrecker. Her daughter, Paula, was defended by George Rice. Richard Hobbs was defended by James G. Netter. John Banzewiski Jr. and Coy Hubbard were defended by Forrest Bowman. Uh, The attorneys for Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, Paula, and John Banzewiski Jr. claimed they had been uh, pressured into participating in Lycan's torment, abuse, and torture by Gertrude Banzewiski. 
Gertrude herself pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Fucking bullshit. Fucking horseshit. Mm-hmm. Um, testimony. One of the first witnesses to testify on behalf of the prosecution was Deputy Coroner Charles Ellis. That's the one who uh, uh, looked at the body after Officer yeah. Dixon did. Um, who testified? Oh, no, sorry. That was Keeble. Ellis was the guy who looked after Keeble. Um, he was the, the hospital guy from the bigger hospital. Okay. Um, probably had more experience with uh, uh, murder cases or whatever. Who testified on April 29th as to the intense pains Lycan had suffered, stating that her fingernails were broken backwards, numerous deep cuts ah. and punctures covered much of her body, and her lips were essentially in shreds due to her having repeatedly bitten and chewed upon them. And they think that's because of her malnutrition. Ellis uh, further testified that Likens had been in an acute state of shock between two to three days prior to her death, and that Likens may have been in too advanced a state of shock to offer much resistance to any form of subjective treatment in her final hours. Although he emphasized that aside from extensive swelling around her genitalia, Likens' body bore no evidence of sexual molestation. I would say fucking shoving a fuck Pepsi bottle just counts as rape. I, I, think, I think that should be like a rape charge, for fucking sure. Um, on May 2nd and 3rd, Jenny Likens testified against all five defendants, stating that each of them repeatedly and extensively, both physically and emotionally abused her sister, adding that Likens had done nothing to provoke such, um, the assaults and that there had been no truth in either rumors she had been falsely accused of spreading or the slurs each had made against the Likens character. During the, her testimony, Jenny, Jenny stated the abused her... The abuse her sister and, to much lesser degree, she herself had endured began approximately two weeks after they had begun to live with the Banzawiski's household. And that, as the abuse her sister was forced to endure escalated, Likens had occasionally been unable to produce tears due to her acute state of dehydration. Jenny burst into tears as she recalled how, just days before, Likens died. She had said to her, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I am going to die. I can tell it. Oh my god. Uh, sections of Jenny Likens' testimony were later corroborated by Randy Lepper, who stated that he had once witnessed Likens crying, but that she had no, shed no actual tears. Lepper also had uh, also testified to having witnessed Stephanie strike Likens real hard after her mother had ordered her to remove her clothes in, the, in, her, in his presence. He then visibly smirked as he confessed to having himself beaten Likens on anywhere between 10 and 40 separate in- instances. He was fucking smirking. This fucking kid. Uh, on was, May 10th... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I don't know. Like, I guess some people are psychos at an so early all age. These people, all these people. Every single one of these people deserve the death penalty. Every single one of them. Yeah. I don't care how old they are. I don't care if the mother was telling them to do it. At a certain age, you learn to say fucking no. There is no way at 15, if somebody told me, hey, go beat this girl until she's unconscious, I was going to say fucking yes. Absolutely no way. God, just this story, literally, dude, when I started reading the first part of this, I'm like, I'm already crying. I can't. This is horrible. This is horrifying. This yeah. poor woman. Um, on May 10th, a Baptist minister named Roy Julian testified to having known a teenage girl was being abused in the band of whiskey's household, although he failed to report this information to the, to the authorities as having been informed by Gertrude that the Lycans had made advances to men for money. Fuck you. Fuck you, Roy Julian, you fucking piece of human trash. Just fuck right fucking off. That's the guy who said the movie theater deserved to be burned down um, because God did it. He's a fucking horse. I fucking hate this guy. This guy. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is the bullshit. This is not per the times. This is per his own fucking personal views. He's a piece of fucking shit. 
But God, he could have saved a life. How does, if I was a minister and this happened to me, I would fucking retire as a minister because I am not a good minister anymore. I could have saved a life and I didn't. I'm a fucking asshole. Ugh. It's just, that just, when I read that, I was like, oh my, fuck this guy. Just fuck him right the fucking hell. Burn in hell. Um, so he had believed the girl was being punished for soliciting. The same day, 13-year-old Judy Duke also testified, admitting to having witnessed Lakin's once under assault being rubbed into her sores upon her legs until she screamed. Duke also testified to one occasion where she witnessed 10-year-old Shirley Banzowiski rip open Lichen's blouse, to which Richard Hobbs had made the casual remark, everybody's having fun with Sylvia. The following day, Gertrude uh. Banzowiski testified in her own defense. She denied any responsibility for Lichen's prolonged abuse, torment, and ultimate death, claiming her children and other children within her neighborhood must have committed the acts within her home, which she described as being such a madhouse. She also added that she had been too preoccupi preoccupied with her own illness and depression to control her children. Yeah, fuck you. Just fuck you. She's lying on the stand and then throwing her children under the bus. This woman is the worst. Mm -hmm. This is the worst mom and the worst person I have ever fucking heard of. Um, in response to questioning relating to whether she had physically abused the Lycan sisters, Gertrude claimed that although she had started to spank Lycans on one occasion, she was emotionally unable to finish doing so and had not hit the children on any further occasions. Bullshit. Yeah, fucking horseshit. She denied any knowledge of Lycan's having ever endured any beating, scalding, branding, or burning within her home. Yeah, okay. Two days later, Richard Hobbs testified in his own defense. By the way, and I'm I'm sad that this happened to that person, but glad it happened to Richard Hobbs because he's fucking such a fucking dick. Uh, his mom died of cancer or was dying of cancer while he was arrested, and she had no idea that he was arrested. I'm like, you know, emotionally, I'm glad that you're in such pain that your mom is dying of fucking cancer. I just feel bad that your mom is dying of cancer. I yeah. feel bad for her not for his emotional state about it. Yeah. So I'm glad that he had got to suffer those two days or might've been a few months, a few months while his mom was dying. while he couldn't see her because he was fucking locked up. I'm so happy for that. Uh, two days later, Richard Hobbs testified in his own defense, describing how Gertrude had called Likens to the kitchen on October 23rd and stated to her, you have branded my children. So now I'm going to brand you, which we already talked about. Mm -hmm. Hobbs testified Gertrude had begun etching the insult into Lycan's abdomen before asking him to finish the task. Although Hobbs testified this act of branding had brought blood to the surface of Lycan's flesh and that Lycan's had begged him to stop, he remained adamant the section of branding he had inflicted had been light. So yeah, okay. she's, begging, she's begging him to stop and there's blood pooling up and he's saying, listen, I barely touched her. What an yeah. asshole. Yeah, seriously. He's only 15, but he's a fucking, he's a sociopath. That's what a fucking socio sociopath would do. Most of these guys feel like sociopaths. They do, maybe don't even, they? And they, maybe even psychopaths. They they call it it's a group mentality is what they were calling it. Like it was, they were doing like it because everyone else was doing it. I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. My group mentality is not there then because I would never fucking do any of this. No. Yeah. Uh, Hobbs further testified that he initially believed Likens would not be at the Banza Whiskey household on October 26th, as Gertrude had informed him. She intended to get rid of Sylvia the day prior. So, you know, that's a little suspicious, you know? Yeah. Uh, when Marie Bansawiski was called to the stand as a witness for the defense, she broke down and admitted. So Marie is, I think, a 10-year-old. Um, I think. I'm pretty sure she was a 10-year-old. She broke down and admitted that she had heated the needle, which Hobbs said used to brand Lycan's abdomen. 
Marie also testified as to her mother's indifferences, indifference to Lycan's evident distress in relation to the physical and mental abuse she had increasingly suffered with her mother's full knowledge. Stating that on one occasion, Gertrude had sat upon a chair and crocheted as she watched a neighborhood girl named Anna Sisko attack Lycan's. Marie added that although all five defendants had repeatedly and physic repeatedly physically and mentally tormented Lycan's, she had m most often witnessed her mother and sister committing these acts. Before her mother had forced Lycan's to live in the basement where the abuse had further escalated and she had ultimately died. Another witness to testify on behalf of the prosecution... Grace Sargent stated how she had sat close to Paula on a church bus and had heard her openly bragging about breaking her own wrist due to her severity of beating of a beating that she had inflicted to the Lycan's face on August 1st. Sargent testified Paula had finished her boasting by saying I tried to kill her. Then Paula was or the this Grace was the person who fucking heard that and said she thought it was childish banter. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Don't worry, it only gets worse from here. Oh, great. You're, you're literally going to hate this, all of this. I hated it. I was screaming. I was so mad. I'm, I'm fucking pissed by it, all of it. But the ending is good, so. On May 16, a court-appointed doctor named Dwight Schuster testified on behalf of the prosecution. When questioned by Leroy New as the ex exhaustive interview and assessments he had conducted with Gertrude, she had been evasive and uncooperative. Dr. Schuster testified as to his belief that Gertrude was sane and fully in control of her actions, adding that she had been insane in October 1965 and remained sane to this date. Dr. Schuster was subjected to over two hours of intense cross-examination by Gertrude's lawyer, William Erbrecker, although he remained steadfast that Gertrude was not and had never been psychotic. Thank you, Dr. Schuster. Fucking good doctor right there. Yeah. Uh, Deputy Prosecutor Marjorie Wessner delivered the state's closing argument before the jury on behalf of the prosecution. As each defendant except Richard Hobbs remained impassive, uh, Wessner recounted the continuous mistreatment Likens had endured before her death, emphasizing that at no point had Likens either provoked any of the defendants or received any medical care beyond occasional having, occasionally having margarine rubbed into her scalded sections of her face and body. Referencing specific forms and means of abuse and neglect at all at the defendants, hands in their collective failure to help Likens or deter each other from mistreating her, Wessner described Likens' abuse as stomach-wrenching and compared her treatment at the hands of all five defendants as being equivalent in severity to the committed uh, to that committed against prisoners in Nazi concentration camps, which I totally fucking agree with. Um, there was practically no fat on Sylvia's body. She hadn't eaten for a week. We'll never know the pain and suffering that Sylvia endured. The best evidence of that was the picture of her lips, the lips that were bitten into shreds. Um, that was said by Marjorie Westner's in her closing argument. That was the last thing she said. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a and reference. It is. It's fucking. I mean, again, she was probably biting her lips because of malnutrition. Yeah. Um, in reference to the premeditated nature of Lycan's death, Westner pointed out to jury's attention to the notes Gertrude had forced Lycan's to write on October 24th, stating Gertrude knew on October 24th she was going to hold these notes until she and the rest of the defendants had to complete completed the murder of Sylvia. Holding aloft a portrait of Lycan's taken before July 1965, Westner added, I wish she were here today, with eyes as in this picture, full of hope and anticipation. Defense! William Erbrecker, and then this guy tried so hard. I I feel bad for defense attorneys because they have to side with their people. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not his fault. I don't 
I, I get it. I, he tried his best and he, he did a good job on at least making her seem like a piece of shit. Like, yeah, that's what the only thing that's really good about this is his, her lawyer was just like, yeah, she is a complete piece of shit. That's totally true. So, uh, William Erbrecker was the first defense attorney to deliver closing arguments before the jury. He attempted to portray, portray his client as being insane and thus unable to appreciate the severity of criminality of her actions, stating, I condemn her for being a murderess. That's what I do. But I say she's not responsible because she's not all here. Erbrecker then uh, tapped his head to emphasize his reference and to her state of mind before adding, if this woman is sane, put her in the electric chair. She committed acts of degra degradation that you wouldn't commit on a dog. She has to be crazy or she wouldn't have permitted that. You have to live with your conscience the rest of your life if you send an insane woman to the electric chair. Holding aloft an autopsy pair, uh, photograph of lichens, Erbrecker instructed the jury, look at this exhibit, adding, look, look at the tips of this uh, on the girl. How sadistic can one person get? The woman, Gertrude, is stark mad. Erbrecker then referred to the earlier testimony of psychiatrists who had called into question uh, Gertrude's sanity before concluding his argument. So, yeah, you know... I like that because he's still like, this person's fucking sick, sick in the fucking head. Don't mm. kill her. Yeah. So, you know, at least he admitted that she's fucking like crazy, but I don't think she's actually insane. Uh, Forrest Bowman began his closing argument in an opening, openly critical manner as he attacked the decision of the prosecution to seek the death penalty for juveniles, stating, I would like to have an hour of the jury's time to explain why 16-year-olds and 13-year-olds should not be put to death. Uh... Refraining from acknowledging the catalog of atrocities each had inflicted upon Lycans, Bowman repeatedly emphasized his client's age, stating each was only guilty of assault and battery before seeking a verdict of not guilty on each youth. So he wanted, like, a not guilty for the murder, but they all attributed to her murder, so, like, I don't think they can do that. Um, George Rice began his closing argument by decrying the fact uh, Paula and the other defendants had been tried jointly sidestepping the multiple instances of testimony delivered at the uh, trial describing Paula and her mother as by far the most enthusiastic participants in Lycan's physical abuse. Rice claimed the evidence pre uh, presented against his client did not equate to her actual guilt of murder. And he then ended his closing argument with a plea for the jury to return a verdict of not guilty on a girl who had gone through indignity of being tried in an open court. Fuck you! Oh, you know, I mean, you? lawyers have a job, and, like, I feel like no. they're going to, like, try no. anything. No! Fuck that guy. He said, like, feel bad for Paula because she had to go through the indignity of a fucking trial for murdering someone. No. I, no, I can't. No. No, that's just a shitty lawyer. Fuck that lawyer. I get it. I, I mean, understand what else that defense lawyers say? have a job. Go for the insanity thing that the last one did. <laughs> yeah. And then he wanted not guilty. At least the last guy was like, yeah, fucking, she's fucking guilty. But she's not, she's not with it. Like, someone who does this couldn't be with it. But, yeah, that's just fucking, oh, God, that lawyer. Some really lawyers are better than others, that. I guess. Some. This one's a piece of shit who just wanted, he's probably bo boosting his stats. That's all yeah. he wants. He doesn't want a, a, a guilty. A, uh, yeah, a guilty plea on his fucking stats. James Netter began his closing argument. He's the last one, by the way, the last uh, 
lawyer here in this closing argument, in defense of Richard Hobbs by referring to the loss of Lycan, stating, "She had the right to live. In my own heart, I can't remember. I cannot remember a girl so much sinned against and abused." He then referred to Hobbs' courage in opting to testify in his own defense and the savage and relentless cross-examination. <laughs> These fucking lawyers. Hobbs tattooed. I am a prostitute and I am proud on a girl's stomach while she screamed for him to stop. But this cross-examination on him has been fucking savage and relentless. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, PJ. I can't. Yeah. I get it. These lawyers are doing their job, but I can't fucking the terminology they're using. They're making these people seem like they're the victims. That, I and mean, fuck that's why that. that's why. No lawyers have such like a negative stigma because I mean there are some that like are prosecutors that are trying to do the right thing and then yeah. some that are like I'm to amend this for the money and yeah. I have to do whatever or prosecutors I can. who who uh, who only prosecute like black people in Baltimore because they know they'll probably get get it right. Oh yeah, right. I didn't think about like, that, but yeah, like there's bad prosecutors too out there. Um, the prosecutor in this case was just really good, so it makes everyone else look really like shitty to me um da, 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 to which he had been subjected by leroy new who was the prosecutor uh netter attempted to portray his client as a follower type personality who had acted under the control of gertrude Banzo- uh suggesting that he had not carved part of the obscene insult into ligand's abdomen at gertrude's request wait what under gertrude suggesting that he had not hobbs could well have been in a state of uh, a state's witness as opposed to stephanie Banzowiski. Uh, Netter ended his close. Okay, had he not done that, he could have been a state witness. Would that? Okay, he he's gone trial for murder. So the fuck you want from him? Uh, Netter ended his closing argument by requesting a verdict of not guilty, stating Hobbs was guilty of immaturity and gross lack of judgment, but not of the crime of murder. <laughs> just, uh, I just, I, I can't, man. This is horrible. Leroy New rebutted the defense counsel's closing arguments by promising to speak through the mangled and shredded lips of Sylvia Likens. I see her wherever I look, outlining the catalog of mistreatment Likens had endured prior to her death at the hands of each of the defendants. New directly addressed criticism had I had earlier received from Forrest Bowman and his closing <clears throat> closing argument. The prosecution cross-examination Cross-examining children stated the prosecutor's job is to present the evidence to the best of their ability. Now, let's look at some of the responsibilities here. Each one of the five defendants had first and foremost the responsibility to leave Sylvia Likens alone. We had the responsibility to bring all the evidence we could find that could explain this crime, which I totally fucking agree with. Uh, Referring to the sentimental closing arguments made by various defense counsels regarding reasoning and motivation for their clients' actions, their attempts to divert responsibility to other defendants or participants, and all their clients' collective failure to either help Ligons or notify authorities, New added, All we hear is the whining appeal, anything but blame, where the blame belongs. He then speculated as the reason as to the reasons Likens did not try to escape from the Banzowiski household prior to the abuse increasingly escalating in the final weeks of her life, stating, I think she trusted in man. I think she did not believe these people would do this and continue to do it. Which I totally, yeah, I think so too, honestly. Because that's uh, something the press kept bringing up, um, was why do you think she stayed through all of this abuse? Was she a masochist? And people would resp- respond, no, she was getting hit 
Her head was getting hit several fucking times a day. She wasn't a masochist. She was probably had a my or a um, concussion. Yeah, seriously. Like I, th- I thought saw that this was before concussions was a big thing. Um, I saw that and I was like, no, she was probably just out of her fucking mind because you were hitting her in the head so fucking much. God, just again, just the, the time period was bad for this because obviously they didn't know as much. But it's still shitty that all this happened, you know? Yeah, for real. Um. New concluded his closing argument by emphasizing the, the defendant's unison in their collective mistreatment of Likens before asking the jury to dismiss arguments made by various defense counsels regarding uh, who may have been actually inflicted the fatal blow to Likens' head, stating every mark on that girl's body contributed directly to her death, and, and that was testimony. The subdermal hematoma was the ultimate blow. This is the most hideous thing Indiana has ever seen, and I hope will ever see. Which I agree. I think, yes, every mark on her body contributed to her death. Nothing on her body was not like a factor in her dying. Mm-hmm. Um, stating that not a shred of evidence had been produced indicating any defendant wa- was suffering from a form of mental illness, New again requested the death penalty for each defendant, stating it to the jury, the issue here is not about the electric chair or a hospital, but about law and order. Will we shy away from the most diabolical case to ever come before our court or jury? If you go below the death penalty in your verdicts in this case, you will lower the value of human life by that much for each defendant. Uh, the blood of this girl will be forever here, here. I know, right? This, this guy's fucking awesome. The blood of this girl will forevermore be on their souls. So, just this, that lawyer is the best part of the story. That lawyer fucking went for everything. He was like, no, fuck these guys, which I would have done the same thing. So... He's probably dead now, but uh, if I ever get a chance, I'll visit your grave, dude, and give you a thumbs up because you're fucking awesome. Uh, The trial of the five defendants lasted 17 days before the jury retired to consider its verdict. On May 19, 1966, after uh, deliberating for eight hours, the panel of eight men and four women found Gertrude Banzewiski guilty of first-degree murder, recommending a sentence of life life imprisonment. Uh, Paula Banzewiski was found guilty of second-degree murder, and Hobbs, Hubbard, and John Banzewiski... Jr. were found guilty of manslaughter. Upon hearing Judge Rob pronounce the verdict, Gertrude and her... I'm missing it. Where'd it go? Hold on. I pressed the wrong button. Uh, Gertrude and her children burst into tears and attempted to console each other. Fuck you guys. As Hobbs and Hubbard remained impassive. On May 25th... Yeah, I think Hobbs and Hubbard's are fucking... Or Hobbs and Hubbard are sociopaths and all the fucking bands of whiskeys are just fucking giant babies yeah uh on may 25th gertrude and paula bands of whiskey were formally sentenced to life imprisonment so paula was actually sentenced to life as well the same day richard hobbs coy hubbard and john bands of whiskey jr was each received two to 20 years uh 21 years to be served in indiana reformatory which is kind of shitty so do you know what the um how laws work do you know what the uh, uh what is it called the parole after two to 21 years is oh yeah yeah, it's like in uh, Shawshank. No, no, no. Do you know how long it oh. would take for them to get paroled? No. One year. What? Yeah. So if you're, it goes off. I think it goes off your minimum years. So if your minimum is two years, you can be paroled after it's half of your uh, half of your stay in prison. So if you get life imprisonment, I think it's like thirty-five years, thirty to thirty-five years, or something like that. Yeah. Um. Other. Uh, if it's not life in prison without you, the possibility yeah, of a parole. You, yeah, you can't get like a verdict of where it's no parole at all. Yeah. But the the mother and Paula can 
uh, parole after 35 years and all the kids in the neighborhood and the kids of her can parole after one year, which I think is fucking bullshit. They should have gotten 20 years, 20 years to life. So they would have to serve at least 10 of them. Yeah. Um, in nine, in September, 1970, the Indiana, the Indiana Supreme court reversed the convictions of Gertrude and Paula Bansawiski. <laughs> they did what? They reversed the convictions. Oh, great. On the basis that Judge Saul Isaac Robb had denied repeatedly submitted motions by their defense counsel at the original trial for both a change of venue and separate trials. This ruling further stated that the circumstances regarding the uh, prejudicial atmosphere created during the initial trial due to the extensive news media publicly uh, publicity surrounding the case impeded any chance of either appellant receiving either appellant receiving a fair trial, which is true they really should have moved the trial outside of this area because it you know the more yeah. the closer you are to the area the more famous the case and the more people who have it heard of it so sounds like a small town anyway so it's like everyone no knows. this was actually in indianapolis oh really oh okay never mind then. but but it was in a small area because they can't just pull anyone from indianapolis they can only pull people from the county yeah. so i think it's just a small county or if it's a big county it's not there's not a lot of people in it yeah um uh, da, 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 da. The pair were retried in 1971. On this occasion, Paula Banzowiski opted to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter rather than face a retrial. She was sentenced to serve a term of between 2 to 21 years. Again, fucking bullshit. She fucking got life in prison and they agreed on a uh, a plea of 2 to 20 years. Ugh. Just The system fuck. ain't perfect. I know it's just uh, this plea deal, and I get it. It's to save money because these murder cases cost a shit ton of money. Yeah. But man, is it fucking just heartbreaking to see that. Um, for her part in like its abuse and death, despite twice unsuccessfully having attempted to escape. All right. By the way, she was she pled to this after twice trying to escape from prison in 1971. She was released in 1972. Like, well, she tried to escape. Shouldn't that warrant more time? Isn't that like how that works? You're not a good person, so you shouldn't fucking be paroled. Uh, Just Gertrude Banzowiski, however, was again convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison once again. Over the course of the following 14 years, uh, so it's now 1985, Gertrude Banzowiski became known as a model prisoner at the Indiana Women's Prison. She worked in the prison sewing shop and was known as somewhat of a den mother to the younger female inmates. Did she tattoo them? No, oh. I don't. Think, there's nothing in here, but I'm saying no, but fuck her. Becoming known to some within the prison by the nickname Mom. Oh, by the time Gertrude's God. ultimate parole in 1985, was she still she pregnant? Changed... No, no, that was Paula who was oh, pregnant. Oh, my bad. Gertrude's Sorry. the mom. Uh, by the time Gertrude's ultimate parole in 1985, uh, she had changed her name to Nadine Van F- uh, Fosen, a combination of her middle name and her maiden name. So she literally changed her name because her... Uh, so her and her daughter, Paula, both changed their names yeah. because they knew if they kept the names, people would know they're fucking murderers and wouldn't hire them for any fucking job. Makes sense. Uh, uh, and described herself as a devout Christian. Nope. Can't do that. Sorry. So news of Gertrude Banzowiski's impending parole hearing created an uproar through Indiana. Jenny Likens and other immediate family members of, of Likens vehemently protested against any prospect of her release. Uh, the members of two anti-crime groups also traveled to Indiana to oppose Banzowiski's potential parole and to publicly support the Lakins family. Members of both groups initiated a sidewalk picket campaign. Over the course of two months, these groups collected 40,000 signatures from the citizens of Indiana. 
including signatures obtained from outraged citizens too young to contemporarily uh to recall the events contemporarily re recollect the case i don't know why mm -hmm. they put it like that uh but but it's to recall the events all signatures gathered demanded that gertrude Banzowski remain incarcerated f for the remainder of her life which again i totally fucking agree within her parole hearing Banzowski stated her wish that the lichen's death could be undone although she minimized her responsibility for any of her fucking actions Stating, I'm not sure what role I had in Lycan's death because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. Fuck you. Fuck you. You fucking dick. Yeah. I don't recall. You recall. She fucking recalls, dude. She knows. She knows exactly what People what just she say did. whatever the fuck they need to say to get out of it. I know, situation. to get out of it. Oh, my God. I'm just so mad at her. Um, by the way, one of the things that they do in these parole things, yeah. they will not parole you if you do not take, um, take responsibility for your crime. They absolutely will not do it. Yeah. So the re that's the reason she said, I'm not sure what role I, so she still admitted to doing it, but saying, but I didn't really do it, but she still had to say, yeah, I fucking did it because they would not have paroled her otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, but guess what? Gertrude Banzowski, uh, is paroled. She's paroled. She was released from prison on December 4th, 1985. Yeah. She moved to Iowa, which I don't know how that wasn't against her fucking parole, but she moved to Iowa pretty fast, and she, where she died five years later of lung cancer, which I'm so happy it was lung cancer. That is such a horrible cancer to get. It's so much pain you're in. I am so happy that she got fucking lung cancer. Good for fucking her. Um, I didn't bother <laughs> looking into all the kids' future because I didn't, think it really mattered what they did i didn't want yeah. to give them any spotlight honestly they don't deserve any mention at all they're just fucking dicks they deserve to die in prison and that's all i care about about them uh, but i did find paula paula changed her last name to pace and moved to iowa as well she worked for a school district until an anonymous tip revealed that her being paula bands whiskey and she was fired she could not fuck yeah be reached for comment and her name was removed from the phone book so fuck her when did paula that if you're listening to this seriously Fuck you if you're still alive, you fucking whore of a bitch. I hope you fucking Jesus. die horribly. I'm sorry. I have no fucking God. Fuck these people. And that's, you know, that's the story. That's the story of how horrible some people can be and how people don't get what they deserve, it seems like. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of trouble with that one, man. I, I Reading it was really hard and going through it was really hard. I feel really bad for Sylvia and Jenny, and I feel real bad for the whole family. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that she died of lung cancer, and I'm glad Paula got fired from her fucking job. Yeah, so. what, what year was L that when she got fired? Uh, I think she was outed in 2007. Oh, okay. So, wow, recently. So Holy she shit. was. So her face How was going around. How did figure that out? I don't know. When I looked it up, because I found like a little article about it, which wasn't a very good article. It didn't give a lot of information. But uh, they said that they found her on Facebook and she resembled, they found a picture of her as a young girl oh, yeah. in, oh, in the okay. court and she resembled the person. So the person on Facebook said, uh, hey guys, I think this, and they just started spreading it around. Yeah. Like, I think this person is Paula Banzawiski, what is everyone else's opinions? And everyone agreed. And so then they called the school and said, hey, or the police actually, and said, hey, maybe you should look into this bitch right here. And then the police notified the school that's it and said like, yeah, this is a known fucking murderer. And the school was like, yep, you're fucking fired. Background checks. <laughs> yep. Well, and she lied up in her background well, check. Of course, so they did yeah. a background check and she was able to lie about it. 
um, the school released a comment saying like, uh, listen, we know we fucked up with the background check and we'll do better ones in the future. So that's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. So, yeah. I mean, she, she deserved that. Yeah. Like, are are you as mad as I am? I mean, I'm pretty upset. I, I like it's just like what the fuck? Like so yeah. many wrong things happening and then I no know, one really you, did much to stop it. Just reading this now, I tears were just filling my eyes because I'm like, this is just too much. This is too much shit for one person to go through and it's not fucking fair. Yeah. And then how's uh how's this Jenny? Jenny was a sister, right? I don't know. I didn't look up them either. Oh, okay. Um I'm pretty sure if I had, I wouldn't have gotten a lot of information because I, when I looked at Paula and Gertrude, I barely found anything. Got it. Um, uh, people, after horrific events like this, they tend to change their names or go into hiding because they yeah. don't they don't want to be found now. They want to be left alone. And if they, she wants to be left alone, I don't want to fucking dig into her privacy. Yeah. She deserves some time alone. She deserves all she wants. Yeah. Absolutely. Jenny. Uh, Jenny, if you ever hear this and you're still alive, I am so sorry. You are an amazing person, I, and I hope you do amazing things with your life. But seriously, this is, yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Anyone to take that amount of abuse is pretty fucked up. But yeah, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed at least listening to a story. I hope you didn't enjoy the story like you didn't like what happened to Sylvia, but I hope you loved what happened to, to Gertrude and Paula. I hope, the you know. The fallout. Yeah, I hope the fallout was really good for you. I feel bad that the court cases didn't go exactly how I wanted them to. But, you know, this happened in 1965, so what can I really hope for? Um, a lot of courts back then really, uh, they had a soft uh, soft heart for women. They don't they didn't believe women could commit, like, heinous crimes like that. So she must have been, like, The soft not hearts of women. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, they'd fucking convict that bitch and send, send her to death, I feel like. I feel like that would just be instant death. Well, the court really of public opinion penalty. would already have her head in a lot of places yeah um so yeah that was sylvia likens again i hope you guys like the story obviously you didn't like the situation but the story i hope you liked her telling of it at the very least um if you want to look up more information about it check out the the book it was written in 1967 and revised again in the early 2000s i think um and it, it was re- it was a really good book I, I think you'll like it uh if you go ahead and read it just the court case is a little boring and i didn't end up finishing that part of it um yeah yeah any any anything else i was thinking too by the way at the end of these podcasts do you have anything that you want people to reach you at who me you have a twitter handle an instagram page anything (laughs) uh sure Uh, because (laughs) i mean i'm not really active that much on it but uh yeah i I don't have one at all uh, so create an instagram maybe a twitter yeah probably both all the socials Uh, yeah, so you can reach out to us on any of the socials once we create them. We don't have we'll, them yet. We'll get we'll the handles the for time. you. Probably next week. By the, yeah, by the next time this podcast. episode comes out, yeah, uh, we'll have them done. Um, also, uh, check me out. I do like a little thing on YouTube for video game playing under Poser67, uh, P-O-S-E-R 67, all one word. So if you want to watch me get mad at video games and just play video games and make jokes and shit, then Go ahead, check me out. Yeah. Anything else, PJ? No, I'm good. I'm good for now. All right, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, review on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, iTunes, it's really important. You give us a a comment and five stars because that's the way their stupid formula goes. So just shoot us a comment, five-star review or something, and tell us what we're doing right, or maybe just tell us what we're doing wrong. So thanks. Yeah, appreciate the feedback. 
Yeah, seriously. Any feedback and any suggestions would be cool, too. Uh, so, yeah. All right. So, thank you, guys. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for stopping by. Everyone have a good one. We love you. Yes.